Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I heard about Alzheimer's for the first time about 20 years ago. I heard it from a communications prof in the health communications class. I knew about people who seemed to forget things and often forgot who they were. Growing up, there were conversations we were picking up from adults that such people were being intentionally difficult. We even heard that they were witches. When I heard about Alzheimer's, it made a great impression on me. I wish I had known about this long before. It would have given me an explanation to shoot down the superstition that such sufferers were witches. Now you might wonder why a communications prof would know so much about Alzheimer's and teach a whole class about it. 20 years ago, Alzheimer's wasn't as well known in America either. And adult children who became caregivers for their parents did not know what they were dealing with. They were very exhausted, but still felt guilty asking for and receiving help. Usually, if the person suffering from Alzheimer's has more than one child, it was one of them who spent most time being the caregiver. That took a toll on the caregiver. So one of the things the prof was doing was helping find ways of communicating with the caregivers that it was okay to ask for help. They did not have to carry the burden alone. Communication theories have something to say about almost anything you can think of. There are many theories, and people have done a lot of research about them and found them to explain human action. Some of the research and conclusions might confirm something you might know instinctively. But sometimes they raise questions about what you think you know. For example, some people might think there is a correlation between watching hockey games frequently and becoming violent yourself. There is a theory about that too. Most researchers say yes, there is. Others say, nah, there isn't. One of the expressions that the prof did not like at all was when you said, deals with. So when he said, for example, information systems theory deals with, he will stop you mid-sentence. And if you had that in your paper, you might have a lot of red ink on that paper. He said things are hardly black or white. He would say communication theories are theories about human behavior. He never liked absolute statements such as, you always behave that way, or you never behave that way. You cannot say that the theory says if you do X, then Y will happen. He said, since the theories concern human behavior, there is usually a middle way. He believed strongly that there cannot just be two ways, but there is a middle way or several ways to look at things. He hated it when people only want things to be one way or the other with nothing in between. That is probably just the case with life in general. Things are not always simply one way or the other. We say that about things we ask for from God in our prayers. We would want God to give us what we ask for in exactly the way we desire. But it hardly happens that way. I don't know of any Christian who hasn't experienced this. 
And I'm not talking about trivial things, but things you really need, like healing from a specific illness for yourself or for a loved one. That sometimes leaves you wondering why, if you're honest about it. After all, God has said, call upon me in times of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. But our careful reading of the Bible and our prayer requests to God in general lead us to conclude that God's answer to our prayers are a yes or a no or a maybe. It's not just a yes or a no. A yes is great. It does happen. A no causes disappointment. A maybe is frustrating. But that's God's way with our prayers. Today, we hear again the words that Simeon and Anna said about Jesus. There is no middle way about what they said concerning Jesus. They were not dealing with theories here, but about God's revelations. You either believe that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of the world, and there are some things that we may be curious about that do not make a difference to our faith. An example may be information about Simeon. Was Simeon an old man? I'd like to think he was. Since the Lord had told him he would not die before he saw the Lord's Christ, maybe he was an old man. But I don't know. Some insist that he was a young man. They have no proof. Was he middle-aged then? Your guess is as good as mine. Was he a priest or a Levite or a layman? What gave him the right to receive Jesus at the temple and nobody said, well, wait a minute, you are not qualified to do this? How did he get to the temple? Did he run there, as, as seems to be the case, as if he had to get there in a hurry to be there at the right time? Did he hobble along together? Had he been there a couple of days to prepare to receive Mary and Joseph and Jesus? There is no yes or no answer to any of these questions. Luke doesn't satisfy our curiosity about these things. They are not that important. But it is important that Simeon came to the temple that day to do what he did. What would have been just a regular requirement for a firstborn male turned out to be extraordinary on this day. Jesus was the firstborn male of Mary and Joseph. And as had been the requirement of God for over 1,400 years, Jesus had to be redeemed. Mary and Joseph, in spite of knowing that Jesus was the Son of God, did not ask for an exemption for him. And God did not make an exception. He fully required Jesus to be redeemed in the way he had prescribed. It makes you think about the mystery of God, that the one who has been born Redeemer of the world will be redeemed by a sacrifice. From what Joseph and Mary presented for Jesus to be redeemed, we know they were poor. You would think that the Redeemer of the world will be born into a wealthy family, but God did not choose to do that. You would think that he would not need to have his son come into the temple where the people trusted more in the sacrifices themselves than in God himself. But he had him come there because he still considered the temple his holy place, where he allowed holy things, such as the presentation of his son, to take place. God the Holy Spirit had prepared Simeon for this event. 
God had told him that he would not die until he saw Jesus. He took Jesus into his arms. He was probably the first person outside the family of Jesus to hold Jesus in his arms. What a blessing for him. He praised God. God fulfilled his promise to him that day. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Simeon said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He said it for himself. But what he said applies to us as well. As people who have also been filled with the Holy Spirit through our baptisms and who follow the only Savior of the world, we too can live with confidence. And when death comes, we will die in peace because we have peace with the one who has authority over death. Now that is not to say that we will not have any pain when we are dying or that fear may not be with us. It means that no matter how things look at the time of death, we have peace with God. He has assured us of that. It is a peace that is beyond our understanding, but it is a peace that he has provided because of this child that Simeon held in his arms to proclaim eternal blessings to all who believe in him. When we greet one another with the peace of the Lord, we are reminding ourselves about the peace we have with God in life or in death. Now, we have not seen Jesus in the same way Simeon did. And I doubt if Simeon lived another 33 years to see Jesus being crucified and also see him after his resurrection. Although the Bible doesn't say anything about when Simeon died, it would seem from what he said that day in the temple that he died not long after the event. Simeon said, God has prepared salvation in the sight of all nations. We were not there in the temple. We have not walked with Jesus physically in the same way his disciples walked with him. We have not heard his voice as they heard his voice. Still, he has made it possible for us to see him as he wishes us to see him today until we get to see him physically at his return. In the Lord's Supper, we get to see him and hold him and taste him, even though it is bread and wine. Yet according to his word, it is not just bread and wine, but also his body and blood. And as we see and hold him in this way, we see his salvation for us. We see that he has reconciled us to God. We are privileged. We get to have Jesus live in us. After Simeon breaks this amazingly good news that Jesus is the salvation of all peoples, he did not step, stop there and just bless Jesus and his family and then go home in peace. He had more to say. He said to Mary, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. When it comes to Jesus, there are only two ways. No middle way. Jesus will be the cause of falling and rising of many. My former prof would not like what Simeon said about Jesus. But there are only two ways. 
That fact hasn't changed and it never will. You are either going with Jesus or you are not. This is a situation in which taking the middle way is not helpful at all. It made me remember what Jesus said about the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation, that it was neither hot nor cold, so he was going to spit it out of his mouth. You don't have to find a middle way. It is Jesus all the way, no one else. Anna, who was very old and one of the very, very few women to bear the title of prophetess in the Bible and had practically been living in the temple, spoke after Simeon. She gave thanks to God and spoke about a child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Even though Luke does not tell us the words she spoke, because she spoke about redemption, we can be sure that she said Jesus was the one who had been born to save, to bring reconciliation between God and humanity. No middle way, no other savior. Jesus alone, for the world, for you, for me. We do not know if down the line any of us will become afflicted with Alzheimer's or some form of dementia. As you have believed in Jesus now, stick with him. So if there ever comes such a time, what you believe now is what will count. Only Jesus, who was born at the right time, died at the right time, who rose again at the right time, counts, and he will come again at the right time. Everything else pales in comparison. All the marveling at what was said about him was not only for that day, it is for all time. And we too, as we live in the joy of, Christ, of the Christmas season, have the one thing needful, peace with God, even if we don't always feel it. Now may that everlasting peace of God, that passes all understanding, be with you all, now and forever. Amen.